Lord, good to be here once again. All for you, Lord. Help us to really learn this, to grow in this, not just talk about it, but just to passionately live this. Then go out, Lord, and represent you in all that we say and all that we do. Let your spirit lead in your name. Amen. Alrighty, guys. I first started teaching out here 20 plus years ago. And one of the first things that people told me was is that I teach too fast. And I always used to say you guys listen too slow. So, we have a lot to cover tonight. I want to cover as much as possible, starting in Mark 4, verse 35. And I want to get all the way through chapter 5. And this is why. I heard a teaching one time, and it really hit me. They said, when you dissect a flower, you lose the beauty of it. That really hit me. And and from a teaching standpoint, I have a a dangerous tendency sometimes to dissect things. I I can start in in the Gospels, and then there's obscure reference to the book of Leviticus. The next thing I know, I'm in Leviticus, and I'm studying out the law and looking into all this type of stuff. And I've dissected it so much that I sometimes lose just the pure simplicity of what Jesus is trying to tell us. This is one of those messages that if we dissect it too much, you lose the big scope of it. And you need to cover it all at once. So, if you want the full beauty of the flower, sometimes you can't dissect it and you just need to look at it. The beauty of this tonight is this. From verses 35 through 41 of chapter 4, Jesus shows that he has power over nature. Verses 1 through 20 of chapter 5 shows that Jesus has power over all spiritual forces. From verse 21 through 43, it shows that Jesus has power over sickness and death. I want us to cover all that tonight. I want you to realize that the reason the Holy Spirit put all these stories together, please remember, chapters and verses were not originally in there. It was one continuous thought, was to show us that if you would just read, if you would just read these verses right here, you would walk away saying, Jesus is the most powerful being. He is God. He has power over creation. He has power over demonic forces. He has power over sickness and death. And that's why I wanted you to go to Jeremiah 32. Because take a look at Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too difficult for you. I look at that one more time. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too difficult for you. Some of you came in here tonight and you are completely, utterly burdened. You are burdened by something physical. You're burdened by a sin that you just can't get rid of. You're burdened by an emotional burden. You're burdened by worry, fear, discouragement. And you are seeking and searching for something more. And I'm telling you right now, when you get done with this lesson with me, and you see Jesus having power over creation, demonic forces, sickness and death, you're going to walk away, I hope, saying, He's the answer to everything. He is the answer to everything. And I want you to really think about this for a second. Whatever problem you are facing in Northwest Ohio, is it bigger than a storm trying to sink a boat? Is it bigger than a demon-possessed man by maybe 2,000 demons? Is it bigger than death? No, it's not. This is the God you serve. And just remember Jeremiah 32, 17. There is nothing too difficult for you. And when you get that in the back of your mind, all of a sudden when you face these trials and tribulations in life, it pales in comparison to God. And as we get closer to Resurrection Sunday, we're going to have a really simple point. The simple point is this. The tomb is empty. And since the tomb is empty and Jesus has defeated death, there's absolutely nothing you are facing today that is bigger than death. So therefore, if the tomb is empty, we won. Jesus won, and he shows his power over this. So we're going to go through this at a pretty quick pace. So buckle up, but it's going to be fun, 
And I hope you're as blessed by this as I am. There's probably going to be a few points that normally I would sit and really take you a little bit deeper on. But I really want us to get the big picture of this beautiful flower tonight. And so go along with me with this. Mark 4, 35. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beating into the boat, so it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Okay, set the scene here with me. First off, verse 35, let us cross over to the other side. Jesus said we're crossing over to the other side. Right there's the problem. That's why Jesus has an issue with them with not having faith. Because he already told them, let's go to the other side. Now, when I used to teach this, I always used to say this. As long as you're in the boat with Jesus, the boat won't sink. So if you ever heard me teach that before, I'm publicly telling you I was wrong for that. Because in Acts 27 and 28, the boat sunk with Paul. Do you remember that? So as long as you're in the boat with Jesus, you won't drown. I'm going to start saying that now. Your boat may sink, but you're not going to drown. Because sometimes God allows the boat to sink. He does. Sometimes God allows the storms in life to come to get your attention. Please remember the very simple Sunday school lesson of Matthew chapter 7, of where the wise man has built his house on the what? Rock. And the foolish man built his house on the what? Sand. And what happened to both of them? The storm hit both. The same storm hit both. We forget that. We have a tendency to present that parable as the foolish man's house fell down because of the storm. The same storm hit the guy whose house was on the rock. I'm telling you, right here, right now, if you are born again and saved, you're going to have storms hit you just like the non-believer is going to have storms hit you. You're going to be tempted by sin just like everybody. So if you are in the boat with Jesus... The boat's going to get hit by a storm. If you, if you think that you're here tonight and as this God-fearing person, you are protected from any type of trouble, you're completely misunderstanding the Bible. The only catch to it is this, as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, if trouble comes my way, it's gone through the hedge of God. He's allowed it. And God will allow storms into your life. And let us prove this point. Right here, these disciples with Jesus, a storm got their attention. God will allow storms into your life to perfect you. God will also allow storms in your life to correct you. A great example of that is Jonah. Jonah had to go through a storm to be corrected. Some of us have to go through storms to be perfected, to be made complete. If a storm is happening right now in your life, one of two things is happening. Either one, you're wrong. And God is allowing a storm in your life to get your attention to correct you. Or number two, you're right, and God says it's time for you to go deeper in me. I'm allowing a storm in your life to perfect you, to make you stronger in me. Please remember, the disciples were obedient. They were doing everything right. They got into the boat with Jesus, and the storm still hit them. Jonah was disobedient. So through his disobedience, a correcting storm had to come get his attention. The disciples, though, here in obedience still had a storm. So if you have a storm right now, it's either there to correct you or to perfect you. How do you know the difference? You pray. Lord, am I doing something wrong? Lord, is there some sin in my life that I'm blinded to? Lord, am I so far off track with you spiritually that you had to send a storm to get my attention? If so, 
confess, repent, forsake, move on. God forgives. If you may stop and say, I I don't think there's any sin that I'm conscious of. I mean, I know I, I stumble here and there, but there's nothing really pulling me down. Then God is allowing a storm to perfect you, to make you stronger in Him. And that goes back to what we talked about recently on a Sunday. God will refine you. God will burn off all those things that are not glorifying to Him. And it's the most loving thing He can do. It hurts and it's painful, but you come out stronger. Allow the storms to perfect you and allow the storms to correct you. Now, take a look at 38. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How many times have you ever asked that? God, why? Why, Lord? They're accusing God of not caring. Do you realize how egotistical that is and arrogant? Now, I'm all for being honest. And if you read a lot of the Psalms, there's a lot of honesty in the Psalms. Lord, why are you so far from me? But you've got to be willing to be corrected. Be honest in your prayers, but at the same time, to go to God and accuse Him? Do you not care, Lord? This is the man in just about a year and a half that's going to be giving up his body to be sacrificed for their sins? Of course he cares. But what happens in the midst of a storm, and if you've ever been in a storm in life, in the midst of the storm, one of Satan's greatest ploys is to convince you in your mind that God doesn't care about you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's God's way of trying to say, I do love you. I love you so much to correct you. I love you so much to perfect you. And Satan whispers in the other ear, no, he doesn't. Now, if God loved you, you wouldn't be sick like this. If God loved you like this, you wouldn't be struggling with your finances. If God loved you, your health would be better. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, right, yeah. This loving God, you don't even care that we are perishing. He does care. Now, I find verses 38 and 39 fascinating. I think 38 and 39, I don't think you can find two better verses in the Bible that show God's humanity and deity so close. 38, his humanity. He is sleeping on a pillow. Pastor's conference last year, there was a guy that had a picture of Jesus sleeping on a pillow, and it had Mark 4, 38... And it said on the back of his shirt, be like Jesus. Think that through. Be like Jesus. Take a nap. That's the human side. This guy just got done ministering, healing, teaching. And you may stop and look at me and you may say, it doesn't look that exhausting to minister and teach and do all that. I'm telling you, it does. It is, it is mentally, it just wears you out. And there's times that you get done, it's like, I, I'm just going to go take a nap for a little bit here. Jesus is tired. He's a human. But yet he's God, 39. He arises, rebukes the wind, says to the sea, peace be still, and the wind cease, and there's great calm. Two verses that just show, completely show you the human side and the deity. Because I look at 38, and here's Jesus asleep, and I think of what it says in the book of Isaiah, that we serve a God that neither slumbers nor sleeps. But here's Jesus taking a nap. And then I see in 39 the power, just peace be still. Now, I've heard this taught before, and I like this. I think in 39, this almost seems to be a satanic storm. It's almost like the enemy stops and says, I got him. I got him all in one area. I have God in human form, and I have all the disciples. I I can take them out in one hit. And you may say, I think you're pushing it, James. I don't know if I am or not, because take a look at 39. Jesus rebukes the wind. You rebuke something that is wrong. You rebuke something that has the power in it there. And you see him rebuking the wind as almost being the satanically inspired storm to cause problems. 
And you would stop and you would think the result of this would everybody would rejoice. Look at the result in verse 41. They feared exceedingly. What I've noticed over the years is there is a fear of supernatural. We're afraid of God moving in miraculous ways. We're afraid of stopping and saying, Lord, I have given you everything. And so therefore, if you say, give it away, I give it away, and I trust the finances will be taken care of. Lord, if you say, I'm calling you here, then I'm just going to go there because I'm not going to be afraid of it. If you say, go witness that person, I'm going to go witness that person. If you say, go do this, I'm going to go do this. Instead, we sit here and we analyze it, we think about it, and we're afraid of the supernatural. They were scared of a calm sea. Think that through for a second. They were scared of a calm sea. Why? Because they saw the power of God. And when you see the power of God working, those miracles sometimes scare us. This is why I've noticed some people don't want God to move dramatically in their lives. They really don't. They really want a relationship with Christ that's about an hour on a Sunday morning. And keep it really simple, please. Don't push me too much. Because if I get to go too deeper, it's just a little too out there for me. Guys, I'm telling you right now, the Lord will take you as deep as you want to go. He's not going to push you, but I tell you, jump in and just see what he has for you. Just do it. I've shared with you over the years before that on a regular basis, the Lord has always asked me just to go out and do something that takes me out of my comfort zone. And I need to. Because if not, you can get really comfortable really quick. And Lord, I need to be able to do stuff that takes me into a place of deeper faith and trust in you. Why are we scared of the miraculous? Isn't that fascinating? I think a lot about surgeries. I go to a lot of surgeries. And people sometimes are are nervous around a surgery, rightfully so. But they have such faith in these doctors. These doctors that come in that maybe they've only met for an appointment or two. I've even been to some surgeries where they've never even really met the doctor before the doctor comes in. Hi, I'm so-and-so. And these anesthesiologists will come in and they'll say, hey, we're going to come in. And guess what? We're going to put you to sleep. And the guy that you've maybe only met once or twice is going to come and cut you literally open. And they don't really have a fear of that. But if I would say, hey, you're really struggling something physically. Hey, why don't you come up in front of the church? Look at the church to lay hands on you, anoint you with oil. That totally freaks them out. They're more comfortable with a man wearing a mask cutting them open than they are with somebody laying hands on them and praying for them. Don't ever fear the supernatural, folks. Don't ever fear God moving in ways that the Lord wants to move because I see these guys in 41 and they feared exceedingly because they saw the power of God. Now, real quick, jump back to 40. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Isn't it fascinating what bothered Jesus? What bothered Jesus? Did he get bothered being waked up from his nap in 38? I know some of you, if I'd wake you up from your nap, you're pretty angry. He's not bothered about that. Is he bothered about a storm trying to take him out? He's not bothered about that. What is he bothered about in verse 40? He's bothered about this, that they didn't have any faith. You want to know something that bothers your God and Savior is when you don't trust him. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please God. If you go back and read the Old Testament, one of the things that really made God angry and upset is how many times that he felt like he had to prove himself to the nation of Israel. The manna didn't prove my faithfulness. The quail didn't prove my faithfulness. The rock, and if you study it out, it's a fun little study, folks. The rock that looks like it literally followed them around and gave them water. See, here's the thing about the rock that I always used to think of. I always envisioned this rock being almost like the elementary school drinking fountain. You know what I mean? 
If you study it out, it talks about the water gushing out. This rock is watering over a million plus people. It looks like it probably was a nice little channel river of water. God got frustrated and said, I keep proving myself to you, and you guys don't believe and have faith. I tell you, the thing that really upsets the Lord is when we don't trust him. He wants us to trust him. And what is bothering him in verse 40? How is it that you have no faith? So just please remember here, verses 35 through 41, you serve a God that has power over nature and creation. And he says, I want you to have faith in me. There's no bigger issue than nature and creation right now that you're facing. If he can control nature and creation, he can take care of whatever we're facing. Let's move on. Chapter 5. Then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gardenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swines was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned into the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. When he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends, tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim at Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now, if you've got a map on the back of your Bible, you can turn there if you want. But really what is happening is they cross the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is decent size, about 9 miles by 13 miles. They crossed over. They're on the other side now, and they're on the east side of Decapolis. They're starting to get into some Gentile area a little bit. So there's really one or two things going on here. He's either ministering to some Gentiles, and that's why they had the swine. Or he's ministering to some backslidden Jews that got some contraband pork bacon thing going on here that they shouldn't have. So either way you look at it, something's going on. But they're on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Let's talk about this description of this man that is demon-possessed looking through the other gospel accounts. We know that he's naked. We know that he's strong. He's untamable, crying out, cutting himself. This is quite the description. I don't know if you've ever dealt with cutters before. We've done a lot of ministry with cutters before. Cutting in the Bible is always associated with demonic influence. It always is. That does not mean that people that struggle with cutting today are possessed by demons. I'm not saying that. But when you see cutting in the New Testament and you see cutting in the Old Testament, it's always associated with false religion and demonic. And I tell you, we've done ministry before. We've uh, reached out and been counseling people with cutting before. That's an awful, horrible thing. And John 10.10 comes to mind. The thief, Satan, comes to steal kill and destroy 
What a horrible thing it is to see these young teenage girls purposely harming themselves because of issues they're facing in life. It's a horrible, awful thing. And you see it right here that's going on with this grown man, this harm. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Please remember that, folks. Please remember that. The plan of Satan is to take as many people to hell as he possibly can. He wants to destroy families. He wants to destroy relationships. He wants to destroy you in any way he possibly can. So here's this demon-possessed man. And look at just verse 5. Look at just the, the pain this man must be going through. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Folks, this stuff is still around. Please don't let the enemy fool you that he doesn't do this type of stuff anymore. He still does this junk all the time. You need to be prayed up. That's why it's so vitally important. And I encourage you, pick a day, pick a meal a week and fast over it. Because when you start getting into anything with demonic influences, the Bible makes it clear. Some only come out by fasting and prayer. I, I set aside a meal a week where I can be prayed up for anything spiritual I'm going to run into. Because I don't know when I'm going to run into it. And I need to be ready and prepared for it. There have been times I've gotten phone calls and dealt with people, and I walk away from that conversation saying, I'm pretty sure they're demon-possessed. I need to be prayed up and ready for it. And if you want to get out there into the battle, and you want to get out there in the fight, I highly encourage you to pray over a meal week of fasting to be ready for any type of spiritual influence you're going to get into and fight. Because this stuff is out there, and we need to be ready for it. So, I want you now, though, to see, because here's the problem. Anytime you start talking about demons and the enemy, some of you get some butterflies in your stomach. This, this makes me feel a little weird. We're talking about Satan. We're talking about demons. We're talking about possession. And we're talking about how powerful they are. And all of a sudden, we get a little scared and a little worried. Please look at what happens in verse 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. He ran into his creator. Satan's created by Jesus. We forget the power here that your God that we serve has. I just want you to remember here dealing with this. This man that's demon-possessed. We see these demons worshiping Jesus. We see them knowing who Jesus is. And we see them praying to Jesus. Because praying is just communicating. It reminds me of what it says in James chapter 2. That even the demons believe in God. This demonic force here worshipped Jesus, knew Jesus, prayed to Jesus, but was not saved. Folks, the biggest mission field may be Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock at whatever church you attend. Because there are people worshipping Jesus, knowing Jesus, praying to Jesus, and they may not be saved. The longer I do this, the more I realize how many people really just have a lukewarm relationship with Christ, and they kind of just fill a seat on a Sunday morning. Guys, that's scary. Matthew chapter 7, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? And Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. Here's a great example. Because if I would come to you and say, hey, I got this guy. He's been coming out to church. And you would say, oh, how is he doing spiritually? Man, he worships Jesus, he knows Jesus, and he prays to Jesus. Boy, he sounds like a great ministry leader. Oh, he is. What's his name? Lucifer. You know, I just, No. So just be careful about this type of stuff. Just be careful. Please also remember what it says in Philippians chapter 2. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There are no atheists in hell. 
Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. This demonic force right here knew who Jesus was and they respected and glorified and worshipped him because they knew he was God. Take a look at verse 7. What have I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. It says in the book of Matthew's account, do not torment us before our time. They know their end. They know what's waiting for them. And they just want to cause destruction. Because Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Their name is Legion. Roman Legion could have up to 6,000 people. Did he have 6,000 demons in him? We don't know. We do know in verse 13 there was 2,000 swine that were killed. So it looks like he had thousands of them in it. And please note right here in verse 11, they're asking permission. 12, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. They're asking permission. They know who God is. They know the power of God. I've told you this story before. I always grew up thinking and I thought of Jesus and I thought of Satan. And I thought of them as almost equals with Jesus just being a little more powerful. And this idea of them constantly duking it out. You read an account like this and you're like, oh, for crying out loud, look how powerful God is. The demons are asking permission. Because that's what they have to do. Please understand the power of your God that you serve. So he allows them to go in and they are destroyed. Now this bothers some people. Why would Jesus allow this? We made the joke earlier, maybe Jesus has taken out a little contraband pork, I don't know. I think also in verse 13, it just shows the destructive nature of demons. This shows us how they want to just destroy. They can't destroy a human anymore. Hey, there's 2,000 pigs, can we just kill them? Let's just destroy And that's what they want to do. Their character is revealed. They like to destroy. This still happens as adults out here sometimes. Sometimes we'll have an individual come out to church and their nature is a bit destructive. And sometimes people will come up to me and say, oh, you really got to do something with so-and-so. And And I'm like, I understand what so-and-so is doing. And I also understand that if I let it go on for a little while, their character will be revealed. And everyone will know what's going on. I tell you guys, sometimes if you have someone who's a problem, if you just let their character be revealed for a little while longer, the truth comes out of what they like to do. They destroy. These demons right here, they like to destroy. Please note the response, verse 15. They came to Jesus, saw the one who had been demon-possessed, and had legions sitting and clothed in his right mind. And look at 15. They were afraid. Same thing with the disciples at the end of the storm. We fear power. We sometimes fear the power of God. And these people were so scared of Jesus, verses 16 and 17, please leave. I have noticed that. The Lord really starts moving in some people's lives, and they get so freaked out by it, they're like, Jesus, just stop, I don't want this, I don't want to go deeper. I don't want, I don't want to go deeper, I want to keep my lukewarm thing, I'm lukewarm and I'm loving it, please don't push me. And he won't. They ask Jesus to leave, what does Jesus do in 18? He leaves. Please remember it says in the book of James 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. If you are feeling distant from God, it's not because he moved away, it's because you have moved away from him. Don't blame him. They wanted Jesus to leave. He left. But now look at the flip side of this. 19. The guy that was demon-possessed says, let me go with you. Jesus says, no. Okay, that's the strange one. I mean, this guy would have been like the most amazing guy. Jesus could give his little talk and say, and let me introduce you to Fred, who had 2,000 demons in him, and Fred will give his testimony. No, Jesus says the most glorifying thing you can do for me is verse 19, go home into your friends and tell them the great things that the Lord has done for you and had compassion on you. Do you guys realize we are just a puzzle piece that the Lord moves around whenever he wants it? 
And if you trust Him and you have faith in Him, if He says, I want you to stay here and plant roots and minister here, then stay here and plant roots and minister. If He says, nope, I'm sending you here, send there. If I say, send here, send there. We were going with the boys the other day and we were going through devotions and we were talking about fear. And so I said, okay, what's the thing that you're afraid of? What's the thing that you're afraid of? That if God would say, let's go do this, that you'd be afraid of. Tyrus, our youngest boy, said he was afraid that God was going to ask us to go back down to Mexico. And I said, why are you afraid to go back down to Mexico? He goes, I don't want a rock to fall on me. He was really bothered by the mountains. So I said, you don't need to worry about that. Kenan, my third one, who's going to be the missionary, said, I'm afraid that God's going to send me to Africa. I said, why are you afraid to go to Africa? He goes, I'm not. That's what I hear every Christian say. They're afraid to go to Africa, so I thought I should just say it. And I thought, isn't that the truth? Seriously, but isn't that the truth? If I would say, I want you guys tonight to really stop and pray. Lord, wherever you want to send me, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. How many of us in the back of our minds say, but just not Africa? Because we want our comfortable lifestyle that we're used to and a language that we can speak and all this other type of stuff. And I, and I look at this. This guy desperately wanted to go with Jesus. But Jesus says, your greatest witnessing tool is these people right here. I'm telling you, if you have been born again and saved... The greatest testimony you have may be to the people that knew you when you used to be a drunk idiot. Because they can see the changed life in Christ. Guess what he does in 20? He departed. Began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. If you look on a map, guess what? This guy is a missionary now starting to go out to the Gentiles. Because Jesus is sending him. So power over nature and creation. Power over any spiritual force. Last one, 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, they asked him to leave. He leaves. A great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. She's 12 years old, it says later on. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and will live. So Jesus went with them, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I only may touch his clothes, I should be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You, you see the multitudes thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? He looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Power over sickness. Now, time does not permit, and this is one of those things I would love to take you to. I'll give you the reference. It's Leviticus 15, Leviticus 15, 19 through 24. If a woman had an issue of blood that was just not her normal monthly cycle, that it would not stop. If she was allowed, if it went more than just, uh, if remember correctly, if it had to be, have a stop of seven days. If it did not step and stop for seven days there, she was considered ceremonially unclean. And not just unclean. Whatever she touches is unclean. She can't live in the house with people, really. Her bed's unclean. Whatever she touches is unclean. If she's with her husband intimately, he is now unclean for seven days. Jewish law, not Bible law, please note there's a difference. There's the biblical law, then the Jews added to it. The Jews said at this state, if there was a woman like this, the husband should just divorce her and move on. 
Because for him to be around her, he can't go to the temple. He's ceremonially unclean. She can't go to the temple. She's ceremonial unclean. Her kids would be ceremonial unclean. She can't go into people's houses because they're ceremonially unclean. Whatever she goes near or around becomes unclean and they can't go near the temple. Twelve years. Not just 12 years. The Bible also says that she had spent so much time, look at 26, suffered many things from many physicians. One of the other gospel accounts says that she used up all of her money. So she has no social life, possibly no marital life. She has no finances, and she is hurting physically. In fact, any time she went to the doctors, it just got worse. For 12 years, this has been going on. And her last ditch thing was, I just got to touch Jesus. Not have him lay hands on me. Not have him anoint me. Not have him pray over me. If I could just touch his clothes. 28. Guys, that's desperation. And God loves desperation. Because it's desperation mixed with faith. Some of you came in here tonight and you are desperate. And God says, I love it. Be desperately seeking me. Be desperately passionate about me. I hope you reach a point sometime where you stop and say, I got nothing but Jesus. Good. Learn that now. Because if you have something else other than Jesus, then that thing probably needs to be taken out of your life for a little bit to remind you that the only thing you need is Jesus. The only thing she had was I could just touch his garment. Just just touch his garment. And she did. And 29, immediately. Immediately. We don't know exactly what this means in 30 about, it, about the power had gone out of him. Because it's not referenced in other times like that. This was something unique. This is something unique. And, and th- I don't know how many people, but there's a crowd of people touching him. It's her faith, though, that moved mountains here. And when he says in verse 30, who touched my clothes, please don't think that he doesn't know, because take a look here at 32, and he looked around to see her. He's asking this because he wants her now to step out in public and say it was me. He wants her to publicly say it was me, and in faith I did this. I trusted that you could do this. And he wanted to be that rewarding of the public faith. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. She publicly then proclaimed that it was her, that in faith that she did this. Power over sickness. But don't forget all this time to heal her and talk to her. And I look at verse 33 and she told him the whole truth. I don't know. Maybe she told him the whole story. You got this guy, Jairus, that's desperate. So desperate. Look at 23, 22 and 23. Falling at his feet, begging him, come lay your hands on her that she may be healed and will live. This guy doesn't have the same faith. If you remember the Roman centurion, his faith was, can you just say the word and and he's healed? This guy's like, you got to come and touch her. 35, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? Please note the importance of that his daughter is 12 years old and this woman had the issue of blood for 12 years. 12 years ago, this man had one of the greatest days of his life. His daughter was born. Changed his life forever. Sunshine and roses. 12 years ago, this woman had an issue that's never stopped and her life completely changed for the worse. Now, she's healed and the girl's dead. Guys, there's seasons in life. There's seasons of rejoicing and there's seasons of sorrow and weeping. There's seasons of health and there's seasons of sickness. You've got to understand this. There's seasons. 
But it's the same God through each one of them. Jesus is still the exact same. So now they say, why trouble him? She's dead. There's nothing you can do. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. What a powerful but yet simple verse. If you are here tonight and you are struggling with faith, you're struggling with what ifs, you're struggling with, I don't know if I believe anymore that God can do this or that, please mark, underline, circle, star, verse 36. Do not be afraid, only believe. God is looking for faith. Just like in the storm, why did you have no faith? I told you we'd get to the other side. Right now he's looking for faith. Verse 37, he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. We've joked about this before. These three were either the bad ones that he couldn't take out of his sight, or these are the three that were really going to do something in the future. Peter becomes part of the de facto head of the early church. John is the disciple that probably lived the longest and wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, John, and Revelation. And James was the first martyr. Jesus knew that these three had quite the ministry ahead of them, and he probably kept them close to say, guys... You need to see this firsthand. See this ministry firsthand. 38, they came to the house of the ruler of synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, please stop there for a little bit. Please note this. When you want to live passionately for the Lord and you want to live publicly for the Lord, please note verse 40, you're going to get ridiculed. And you're probably going to get ridiculed by people in the church. Because what happens is this. What I've noticed is as you want to go deeper in the Lord, the initial reaction is, hey, good for you, great, great to see you going deeper. And as soon as you get a little too crazy for Christ, people are like, hey, back off a little bit. Because what happens is you're starting to make them feel uncomfortable. Because really what we want to do is we all want to be in the same boat at the same speed, going the same direction. And when you see somebody say, hey, guys, let's go harder. No, I just I want to stay nice and easy. So they ridiculed him. Verse 40, what do you do? You put them all outside. <laughs> Now, I'm not saying you break off relationships, fellowships, but I'm saying sometimes you've got to stop and say, listen, I'm going deeper, and I want to go deeper, and that's what I'm going to do. Please remember what Jesus said, I have come to set father against son, mother against daughter, husband, wife. Sometimes when you go deeper, your spouse doesn't want to. Sometimes when you want to go deeper, your kids don't want to. Sometimes when you want to go deeper, your parents don't want to. You don't hold back for somebody else. You trust that as you go deeper in Christ, that they will eventually want that same passion and desire as you live it for them. So, put them all outside. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha which is translated, little girl, I say to you, rise. Immediately the girl rose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. Verse 42, in our present day vernacular, we would say they were floored. They were completely floored by what God did. 43. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and that something should be given to her to eat. She's completely, utterly healthy. Let her eat. I find it interesting, verse 41, Talitha Kuma, what an interesting name there. Had an opportunity just a few weeks ago. I ran into a lady and started talking to her and asked her what her name was. Her name was Talitha. I said, do you know your name's in the Bible? She goes, that's what people tell me all the time. I said, do you know the story? She goes, oh, something about a little girl. I said, yeah, and I told her the story. And it was a great opportunity to get a chance to witness to her. They named her to leave there right there in verse 41. I found that fascinating there. But I just want to tell you this. You serve a God that has power over nature and creation. He has a power over demonic forces, spiritual, anything you're facing. And he has a power over sickness. And he has a power over death. 
Please remember what Jeremiah 32, 17 says. And if your hand is still there, I encourage you to mark it, read it, look at it with me here. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched harm. There is nothing too difficult for you. Nothing. Creation, nature, demonic forces, health, sickness, nothing. And that's the God you serve. And if that's the God you serve, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I guarantee there's nothing you're facing tonight that's bigger than what we went through tonight. That's not to downplay your problems. That's to show you how big your God is. I was just reading in Psalms the other day, and it talks about how we're supposed to magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord. And I I remember hearing John Piper teach about this. He goes, when you magnify something, you're either doing one of two things. You're either using a microscope and taking something that's tiny to make it look bigger. Or you're using a telescope and taking something that's really big and you're trying to get it to be more clear and bigger in your life. When it says we magnify the Lord in the book of Psalms, I'm not taking a tiny God and trying to impress you and say, look, he's really big. I'm taking a God that's big and saying, look through the telescope to see how big he really is. I got a telescope at home and I love going outside and looking at night and you see just this gleam of light. And then when you look at it through the telescope, all of a sudden you stop and say, oh, that's Jupiter. There's the clouds. There's the four moons. Oh, that's Saturn. There's the rings. And all of a sudden you see it because it's magnified how big they really are. Some of you need to magnify your God and your life a little bit here, folks. Realize how big he is. Not microscope him. He's not tiny that you need to make bigger. He's already big. You just don't realize how big he is. Then walk in that faith, walk in that power, and definitely be blessed. Be blessed. Hey, guys, we covered it all. Whew, amen. All righty. Huh? Yeah, I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to go take a nap there. I'm going to get some of what Marv's thrown out over there. Um, why don't you guys stand with me here? Normally we do some uh, questions, comments, but it's 8 o'clock already here. I really wanted us to get the full flow of this tonight, guys. Like I said, sometimes you dissect the flower, you lose the beauty of it. Hey, as we pray ourselves out here, would you please really just in the back of your mind, what do you have going on in your life that you're really thinking is just too big? And please, please remember how big your God is. Lord, as we just come to you now, um, you are a God over nature. You're a God over creation. You are a God over sickness. You're a God over death. You're a God over demonic forces, spiritual. Whatever we're facing tonight, you're a God that's big enough to handle it. And I praise you and I thank you for that, Lord, in all ways and all things. Lord, I just pray what it says in Psalm 70. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. And Lord, I pray that you are magnified in every person's life here tonight, that we may just truly serve you, love you deeper, more passionately in all ways and all things. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you for being a God of grace and mercy. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, you guys have a good week and God bless.